my side, a warm welcome to everyone today, whether you are watching online, whether you're in the room, we are so glad that you join us today for the final part of our worship series. And I want to do a quick recap of what we said in the previous weeks. If you missed any of our messages, it's on YouTube, it is on all the podcasting platforms, um, it's on our website, so you can, um, on our website, go to proday.org.za slash podcast, you can find all of our messages there. Um, but today we're going to close off, I really think, on a high note. But I want us to quickly just reflect on what we've said. We've said worship is not music. It is our response to what we value most. So whatever we value most, if we follow the, the trail in our life of where we spend our energy and our money and our passion, at the end of that trail, of that path, there will be a throne and something will be sitting on the throne. That is what we, what we worship. That is what we value most. And we said it's so important to know what we worship in the second week. We said because it will influence your whole life. We become like the things we worship. If you worship consumerism, you will become a consumer. If you worship your car, you will become a driver. You won't become a car, don't worry about that. But if we worship Jesus, we will become more like Jesus. And we said our whole life is a response of worship. It's not just the music we sing. It's not just when we sit here in a building on a Sunday. It's not just the scriptures we read. But our whole life, the way we talk, the way we spend our money, the way we work, the work we play, everything can be an act of worship if we do it for God. And then last week, we spoke about a very interesting topic about true worship, because you get all kinds of worship. We worship every day, every single one of us. But Jesus helps us women to understand that if, you wor if your worship is empty, you will be left empty and disappointed. And therefore, Jesus says we should fill our worship with the right things. It should be true worship, and true worship can only start at one place, and that is at the cross of Jesus. So today, I want to continue, because here's the difficult thing, okay? It's easy to say that something is on the throne of our life. It's easy to say that we value something above all others. But it's a different thing to actually know if I am truly valuing what I am say I'm valuing. It's a different thing to truly know that whatever I said is on the throne of my life is actually there. So the question is, how do I measure is there some kind of measurement, some kind of tape measure, some kind of cup that I can use to figure out if what I said I'm worshiping, if I'm actually worshiping that with everything I am? If you are baking cakes, there's, there's measurements, right? There's a scale you can use. There's cups you can use. If you're making curtains, this week my mom was fixing all our curtains for our house, so she had a tape measure. She was measuring everything out. You've got different ways to measure stuff, and what we're going to be talking about today um, is the, the final part of the series, the measure of worship. How do we measure our worship and know that it's heading in the right direction? Now, I want you for a moment to quickly think about one of the most passionate people you know. Just in your mind. It can be passionate. They can be passionate about anything. But for a moment, just think about someone you know that's crazy passionate about something. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm always amazed by how passionate people can be about things that I have no interest in. Again, if you're sitting here today and you're like, but I'm not someone who jumps up and down and goes all crazy, I'm not saying you have to be that. That's not necessarily passion. That might be one person's expression of passion. It might not be yours. But I want us to read something today from Samuel 2, and it is one of the most beautiful expressions of passion that you can find in the Bible. And before we read, I want to give you a bit of background. 
the Philistines took the ark of God. Now remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out. So God wasn't present through His Spirit every single place. God chose in the Old Testament to be present at certain times and certain places. And one of the places where He chose to be present at was at the ark of God. So they built this ark that they would carry everywhere, and God chose to be present at that ark. But then the Philistines stole the ark can go and read the whole story. They got crazy sick. God cursed them because they took His presence away from His people. So then finally the, the Philistines are like, Let, let's just send this thing back. Okay, we don't want this here. It's bad for us. So they send it back to Israel. And um, as this ark is on its way back, it goes over a, a bump and it topples over. And a, and a man tries to stop it from falling. But you're not allowed to touch the ark. It's holy. It's the presence of God. So the moment he touched the ark, guess what happens to him? Boop, he falls over. He's dead. End of the line for him. So David looks at this thing and he's like, I don't think this should be in my house. Okay, if accidentally I touch this, maybe I'll die. So I'm just going to leave it with some random man. And then finally, his name was Obed-Edom. And you're going to hear what happens with Obed-Edom. So this ark of God, he takes care of it. It's sitting at his house. And this is what happens in 2 Samuel 6, verse 12 to 16. Can someone just continue the slides for me, please? I see they're trying to sort out an issue. Thank you. 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. The presence of God brought a blessing to Obed-Edom. So David, now suddenly he's like, no, now I want this thing. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. It's actually the sound of a shofar, so like a ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of King Saul, the previous king, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Because this is such a beautiful story of the presence of God that brings a blessing to our lives that we cannot understand, that we cannot begin to comprehend. Obed-Edom was kind of like the sucker. They were like, this ark kills people if they touch it. So let's just leave it with this dude. If he and his family dies, it's probably okay. But the presence of God didn't bring death to the family. It brought life. It brought blessing. It brought something amazing. And David hears about it. And David says, like, I want to be in the presence of God. So he goes, we read, and he brings the ark back to the city of David, back to where the temple would one day be with rejoicing. We were talking about worship, and we heard last week that empty worship will leave us empty. But I want to tell you that true worship will leave us filled 
will leave us with a blessing. When we truly worship Jesus and we are in His presence and we don't need an ark, we don't need a building, we don't need a temple. We spoke about it last week because the presence of God is here because His Holy Spirit was brought out. You are seated on holy ground. When you drive out of this building, you're driving on holy ground. When you step into your house, you're stepping onto holy ground because the presence of God is with us everywhere. But when we engage in the presence of God, when we choose to be there, it brings a blessing into our lives, and not necessarily money, not necessarily health, not necessarily stuff like that, but it brings a joy and a peace and a hope to our life that money and stuff can never give us. And this is what they experienced, and that is why we read about this amazing rejoicing that happens. And I want to do this disclaimer before we continue. If you're a Christian, this is your measure. If you are not joyful about the fact that you can be in the presence of God, then something is missing. But this is also, if you're listening to this today, if you're sitting in this room and you're not a Christian or you're exploring Christianity, and one of the reasons why you don't want to be a Christian is because Christianity seems like just another dead religion because you look at people who call themselves Christian and nothing in the life is different, nothing seems different to the rest of the world, I want to tell you, this is your measure as well. If they say they are Christian, but the measure of passion for Jesus is not present in their life, there might be something wrong in their life. And they might carry a name of a king who's not on the throne of their hearts. So whether you're Christian or not a Christian today, I want to invite you to listen to this and say, can we have a decent measure to measure Christians by? And I think this measure should be in our life. David, after all the victories, if you go and read his story, this was a young little man who fought of bears and wolves when he protected his sheep, that becomes a king, that has the most amazing victories over giants, that conquers other kingdoms. Songs are written about him, about how he kills thousands and thousands of his enemies. This guy did the craziest things, and every time God's blessing is on his life, um, songs are written about him. He grows in power. The kingdom expands. His riches expand. But nothing, nothing in his life filled him more than being in the presence of God. Nothing brought him greater joy. Nothing filled him with more passion than being in the presence of God. And if you are experiencing no passion in your life, maybe it's still because we're trying to find passion and joy in our victories, in our songs, in our power, in our riches, and it will leave us empty because it's empty worship. But the passion of God filled his heart. And we read this crazy part in verse 13. Okay, now I have to get up with my one leg. Okay, one, my leg is starting to function, but, but I want you to see this. Okay, this is David and his people. Okay, not as slow as I am. Well, they probably went slower because this is them. We read six steps. One, two, three, four, five, and another one, six. And they offer a bull and they offer a calf. Okay, I don't know exactly how sure the ho- how far the house of Obed-Edom was from his kingdom, but I can assure you it was more than six steps. I can, it, it was probably a couple of kilometers. But every six steps, he sacrifices a bull and he sacrifices a calf. <clears throat> now, if you are like me, the first thing that might pop into your mind is like, isn't that a little excessive? That's a lot of animals. 
If it's a couple of kilometers, that's an insane amount of animals, and that's a crazy amount of blood. But every six steps, he sacrificed a bull, and he sacrificed a calf, a calf, and that seems crazy to us. It seems over the top, but I see people going over the top every single day of my life. We just went through Black Friday. Again, this year it looked a little different than previous year. This year we had longer time, so it wasn't as crazy as before. But when Black Friday hits, people break, people break doors down in shopping malls. People fight with each other and grab stuff out of each other's hands because they're so passionate about the stuff. I see people at concerts and I see people at sport matches going crazy, painting themselves in all kinds of colors, wearing all kinds of symbols, jumping up and down. I see the most quiet, introverted people that have no issue with being passionate the moment they are in an environment like that. I want to tell you, even the most introverted, quiet people can be passionate. Passion is not not an issue for us. Over-the-top passion isn't an issue for us. It's a natural response to what we value most. We all do it. This wasn't about being crazy. David wasn't crazy when he, brought, when he offered a bull and a calf every six steps. It was about giving God the best thanks. This was about being so grateful. It was the best way that he found to give thanks to God for being in his presence. He had no better way to express it than to bring an offering to God every six steps. I want to tell you that passion flows from a heart filled with thankfulness. Gavin, my, my um, presenter is dead. Passion always flows from a heart filled with thankfulness. It is interesting to me, if you've ever watched a TV show, where they've redone someone's house, or where they've won a prize. The moment those people knock on the door, the moment they do the big reveal, people, even the most quiet people, overflow with passion. Why? Because of a moment of thankfulness that is so big that they cannot contain it. And this is where David is at. He's not being crazy, but he's got so much thankfulness after all these victories, after all the power and riches he has. The moment of being in God's presence is so beautiful. It's so good that he just overflows in every sense of the word. If you are lacking passion in your life, it could be that you are not thankful for what you have. And you might be sitting here and you might be saying, Louis, but I've got so many issues. Everyone has issues. And there's always someone that's got bigger issues than you do. But everyone has things to be thankful for. Someone said last week to my wife that when you have no food to eat the evening, you've got something to be thankful for. You've got, you, have, you can be thankful for the times you were able to eat. You can be thankful for the moment to, where you can learn. Hear this. You're thankful for the moment that you can learn about what someone is going through that doesn't have food. That's spiritual maturity. We always have something to be thankful for. And David, it just overflowed. He couldn't keep it back. He's dancing. The, the Verse 14 says, not, not, not a little bit. He's dancing with all his, his might. And he's not dancing in his royal robes. He's not dancing in his 
armor ready for battle, he is dancing in a piece of clothing that theologians have been debating about. Either it was an undergarment or it was a, a garment that priests would have worn over the rest that was open at the back. But I don't even want to go into the background of this. It doesn't matter what piece of clothing this is. If you look at his wife's response, this was not appropriate behavior for a king. This was not a little Madiba shuffle. This was proper dancing in clothing that was not appropriate for him. And she tells him, like, what are you doing? She, the moment when she sees him, She's like, this is inappropriate behavior for a king. She despises him for it. But he goes with all his might. There's no holding back. And that is the second interesting point that I find when, where passion comes out. And this is the interesting part that you might not know when we just read it. Passion flows from a heart filled with not only thankfulness, but also filled with humility. You see, David was dancing in clothing that was inappropriate for a king, but he says, I will humiliate myself even further, we're going to read that now, before the God, before the king of kings. His passionate explosion wasn't for a rugby team, wasn't for money, wasn't for something he won. He was before the king of kings, and he's like, I cannot be low enough, close enough to the ground when I'm worshiping this king because I am nothing compared to this king. And when we start to think more of ourselves, pride, when we are filled with pride, when we think more of ourselves than we should, we won't have passion for Jesus because we will be in our own way. When we talk about idols, we think a little statue made by human hands sitting on a shelf. We think that's an idol. Let me tell you, I think the biggest idol we face in the 21st century is the idol of self. We idolize ourselves. We idolize our bodies. We idolize our abilities. But passion flows from a heart filled with humility. A heart not looking out for the good of myself. A heart not filled with pride. I saw this years ago when I was still a youth pastor. <clears throat> One Sunday, I had to go and check, what was, check out what was happening at the kids' church. So I walk in, and they're all standing in the rows, practicing for Christmas carol service. And this is one little three-year-old girl, and this music is playing about praising Jesus. And she's three years old. She's standing on the side, arms in the air, spinning in circles. That's what she's doing. She's praising Jesus. Okay, and, and this older lady that's with the kids' church, she's a typical old-school teacher. She's, like, angry. She's trying to get her back. Like, she should take her form. She should be in the right spot. She should do what she's supposed to do. And she's just dancing before Jesus. No holding back. And I wanna, it fills my eyes with tears when I see that kind of passion. And it's sad that we grow up in a way where we lose that passion for Jesus. I see Abigail every time a gospel music is playing, hands in the air, just dancing before Jesus. And I think one of the reasons why we stop that is because our hearts just fill with pride too much. But these people, we read that David, the whole of Israel in verse 15, that they shouted, they didn't whisper. 
It wasn't an orderly, orderly church service. They shouted and they blew the shofar. Now, if we didn't move, I would have blown a shofar for you today because I've got a shofar at home, a ram's horn, but it's somewhere in a box, so I can't do that. But a shofar is so loud, I don't need a speaker for you to hear it very clearly in this building that can seat 500 people. Everyone was shouting and everyone was blowing shofar because it is passion has no holding back. And they did it together because there is one of the most beautiful expressions of passion is when we do it together. You can be watching rugby on your TV screen and you're a little bit passionate, but the moment you're in a stadium filled with 50,000 other people and everyone is passionate, it's like that little spark in your heart just blows up and you go crazy, right? Years ago, there was this Loftus for Jesus thing in Pretoria, and it was, I can't even remember, 70,000 people or something like that, that filled a stadium for Jesus. And I remember Angus Buchan saying, Amen, and everyone responded, and it would make the earth tremble. It was, it gave you goosebumps. Passion is just so beautiful when we do it together, but passion is normally loud. Passion is not quiet. Passion is loud. But why did they blow the shofar? Why did they shout? Because they were thankful for God's presence. They were walking in front of the ark with humility because they knew what a great and powerful God this is. Remember the guy that just touched the ark a while ago? He just fell over dead. So they were humble before this great God. But the passion also overflew Because they knew of the greatness of God and they had to share it with everyone along this way. Passion flows from a heart that cannot contain the greatness of which it knows. No sermon series, no book can ever contain the sum of God's greatness and His worth. I can try to explain it till I'm blue in the face. But God's greatness is just so much more than my words can express. It's so much more than music can express. Um, Although it's amazing, we cannot comprehend, we cannot grasp it all. Our brains are too small. Our power, our brain power is too limited to understand the greatness of God. And that is the moment when we understand that His greatness is so much more than we can contain. It is a natural overflow that we have to share with everyone. We want to blow shofars. We want to shout it from the rooftop. We want to exalt Him for the rest of our lives because we cannot contain it. There's a man, John Piper, a theologian, that explained passion so beautifully, passion for God. And he said this, he said, where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. I want you to think about your own life just for a second. And remember, I said, you don't have to be one of those people to jump up and down, one of those to shout at the top of their lungs or dance to show passion. People show passion in different ways. But I want you for a second to look at your own life. If your worship is dead, maybe your feelings for God are dead as well. Maybe you lost your thankfulness. Maybe you lost your humility and you're filled with pride. Maybe you forgot the greatness of God and it's just not overflowing from you. And I know you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. We will never be perfect because only Jesus was perfect. 
And I don't ask you to produce a kind of passion that you see on TV because someone else does it and you think I have to act like that person to be passionate. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to, to be like someone else. This is not about going nuts. It's not about being crazy. I am asking you to live in such awe and wonder before the living God that it's a natural and appropriate, passionate response of God's greatness. You need to find that place where you are so overwhelmed with His beauty and His glory that you cannot help, but just that it just overflows from you. But what prevents passion? I quickly want to go through this. To Samuel, um, we read from verse 20, David gets back to his palace. You just heard that the, that the previous king's daughter, his, his queen, she looks at him and she despises him. And I want you to see what happens because in the next piece, we're going to see why we sometimes struggle to be passionate. Okay? Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his whole household, because remember, he was just in the presence of God. What other way than to go and bless your household? It's the natural overflow. When he went back to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Because what prevents our passion? Passion flows from a heart filled with thankfulness, with humility, and a heart that, un- that, that cannot comprehend the greatness of God. But what's preventing passion? If you're here today and you're like, Louis, I know some of my, wo- my worship is dead. What's going on? I want to tell you these four things I think that can prevent you from, from truly being passionate about God. One is standing on the sidelines and not participating. Michal's issue, do you know why she she wasn't passionate about this? Because she wasn't in the presence of God. She wasn't with the Israelites when they brought the ark back. If you're standing on the sidelines looking in, if you're not part of a church where you you can invest and build in the kingdom, I told our volunteers today, you're not setting up sound. You're not brewing coffee. You're not smiling and just greeting people. You are actively building the kingdom of God. And when you're standing on the sidelines and you're not part of the move of God, you will not be passionate about it because you're not part of His move. You're not in the moments when God places the place. She saw it from the palace. She wasn't in the moment. Don't stand on the sidelines. Sometimes you belong before you believe. Sometimes you become part of this crowd and the passion is so, the passion is so contagious that you start to believe, that you start to understand the greatness of God. Because you're just part of it. The second thing is comparison. 
She despised him for what he had that she didn't have. She looked down at him because he had joy and he had passion that she didn't have. When you look at other Christians and you compare yourself to them and you're despising them because they worship differently than you because they put up the hands or they don't put up the hands or they jump around or they don't jump around, when churches start doing that, that's about comparison and we lose God in the process and we lose the passion we could have for God in the process because we're on, on human grounds comparing us to other people. This is not about your tradition. This is not about a denomination. This is not about expression that other people are expressing. This is about what's going on in your own heart. The third one is judging other people for the way they worship. And this goes hand in hand with comparison. In verse 20, she judges him full out. She tells him that he's a a vulgar fellow. As long as people have Jesus, as long as churches have Jesus at the center, the expression of that doesn't matter to me. If there's wrong theology, that matters greatly. But people are different, traditions are different, and it's okay if people express it differently as long as we don't judge. Because the moment we start judging other churches for the way they do it or other people for the way they express their passion to God, again, we're busy with the comparison games. We're going to lose out in the process. But the last one, why I think we lose out is sometimes we're afraid of being judged. What will, what will people at work say? What will people on my Facebook say if I post the service, if I share the service, or if I post something beautiful from the Bible? What will someone say if they see me reading Bible during lunch hour? Sometimes it comes from believing that you're better than other people. The queen thought she's better than the slave girls. Sometimes it comes from being intimidated by other people. But when you are afraid of being judged, of being looked down at because you're passionate about Jesus, you're going to suppress the natural overflow that there should be in your life, and you're going to miss out on the passion you could have. A passionate response of worship should be a natural part of our life. Stop comparing. Stop judging. Stop being on the sidelines. Stop being afraid of what other people will say. If you know Jesus, if your heart is filled with thankfulness, if your heart is filled with passion, if your heart is filled with humility, if your heart cannot grasp the greatness of God, let it overflow. Stop worrying about what other people will say. So lastly, what can we do? What did David do when his wife attacked him about his passionate response? This is what he did. First thing, He says, I'm not dancing for people, not for you and not for the slave girls. He says in verse 21, it was before God that I was dancing. So when you want to be passionate about God, but you're afraid of being judged or you're afraid of what other people will say, put your focus back on God and take it off of other people. It doesn't matter what people around you are doing. It doesn't matter what other Christian traditions are doing. Take your focus of people, take your focus of yourself and put it back on God. David's like, I'm not dancing for recognition. I'm dancing for God. That's why that three-year-old girl was dancing in church while the other kids were standing in rows because she's like, I'm dancing for Jesus. I'm not dancing for a show. The second thing he did is celebrate who God is and how he has supplied to you. It might sound a little arrogant when David tells her, listen, God chose me above your father. That sounds a little arrogant, right? But I don't think this was just about arrogance. 
David goes back and he celebrates who God is, the king of kings that can anoint me above earthly kings, the king of kings that provided for me, that helped me conquer Goliath, the king of kings that put breath in my lungs, that keeps me safe, that keeps me healthy, that gives me reason to celebrate. Remember what God has done for you because bad things, when they come, your passion flame might be going low because you get so caught up in what's wrong in your life. You get so caught up in your stress. You get so caught up in your anxiety that it drowns the passion. But take your eyes off of the passion and put it back on celebrating who God is and what He's done for you. And the last one is stay humble. We're back to our three, right? Our thankfulness. We're back to our gratefulness of who God is, and we're back to to our humility. Stay humble. In verse 22, he says, I will become even more undignified than this. If this is what it takes for me to be on my knees before God, I will do it before the whole world because I want to be humble before the King of Kings. Pride will make you worship yourself and it will make you miss God. So what I'm telling you today is there is a measure for worship, and it's passion. It's not expression. It's not how high you lift your hands, how wide they are. It's not how hard you clap, how loud you sing, how much you dance or don't dance, how quiet you stand. How It's not about that. It's about passion, your natural, passionate response to what you value most. But if you are not, if you do not have a passionate response to Jesus, then something else is seated on the throne. If you have more passion for a sport, you've got more passion for your car, you've got more passion for your house or your family, then those things are on the throne of your life and not Jesus. It's something I have to evaluate in my own life every day, especially now that I've got a daughter because she's got dad wrapped around a pinky. And we all have to evaluate our own lives. But I want to challenge you. Don't, go, don't come to church to worship. That's a wrong attitude. If you come here to worship, you're already missing the point. Come to church worshiping. Your worship should start in your own home when you get up in the morning. Your worship should be in your car when you're driving to church, when you're driving to work. Guys, if we come to church worshiping instead of coming here to worship, if we come to church to participate instead of consuming, everything will be different. Church is better when our gatherings, even if you're online, church is better when our gatherings are filled with people who've been pursuing God for six days before they get here than people who come here to pursue God for one hour. So let me close with this. Our passionate response to worship speaks of a God worthy to be valued above all others, above all else. The world looks at us. And they learn, and they observe, and they see. And I want to be so passionate about Jesus that whenever someone looks at me, that my life speaks of a God worthy of being valued above anything else. I hope you will 
I hope you will pursue that with me. Let's pray. Jesus, you deserve so much more than we can express. You gave it all that all I want to do is give everything back. And I want to ask your forgiveness this morning for every time that something else has been on the throne of my life. Where my natural passion response has been greater for family, for money, for cars, for stuff, for teams, for music. When my response has been greater for them than it has been for you. I pray this morning that you would just be number one, that you would be on the throne of our lives, and that our natural response to you would just be an outpouring of everything we have. I pray that you would remind us when trouble drowns out our passion, that you would remind us of things we, ha we have that we can be thankful for. I pray that you would remind us, even when we can't find something in our own minds to be thankful for, that you would remind us of your greatness and your glory and the privilege we have of being in the presence, not of a God made by human hands or, cons or thought up by human minds, but a God that is living, a God alive, a God that's powerful, a God that saved us. May that be enough for us to worship. Examine our hearts this morning, God. And if our passion is dead, I pray that you would light a fire under us. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that this worship series helped you to relook at your own life. That's what it's about. To really say, like, who's on the throne of my life and that Today, you will have a measure to say, like, this should be my measure, passion above all else for Jesus. And as we, we go into a season of Christmas, I think we've got so much to celebrate, Jesus coming to earth. So may this December, wherever you are, whether you're in Cape Town, whether you're traveling, whether you are at home, may it just be a time that fills you with so much awe and wonder, not of Christmas lights, not of presents and gifts, but of the living God that you will just have a natural passion overflow.